Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Knowing what to do with this data. So one big mistake people make when they ask directly is they think that the number itself is somehow meaningful and it almost always is not. So if we ask people, how much do you trust us on a seven point scale? And we get the number back five and a half. That number by itself is almost entirely meaningless. Like what does a five and a half mean on a scale from one to seven when we're measuring trust? He hadn't even quoted us for what it would cost, okay? But I wasn't worried because we'd been with him for 10 years and I knew that he wouldn't screw me. And if you could see me, I'm pointing and waving up in, up in the air. For the sake of people trusting you as, a, as an expert, Colin, <laughs> it's probably best that they can't see you gesticulating wildly along in your room. Interesting question, Ryan. Oh, good. How do you know when someone trusts you? Are you asking specifically about you? Because I have an answer for that. (laughs) It's going to be a short episode. This is not the beginning of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know if someone trusts you? That, That is a good question. It is. And Bob has written in to us with a really interesting pickle. And for those of you that don't know what a pickle is, this is a slot where we called I'm in a pickle and you write in and you tell us what your problem is. And Ryan and I sift through the ones that we think would be useful to lots of people. And I, I read Bob's one and I thought, this is an interesting question. Let's actually hear from Bob. So Bob, tell us what your pickle is. Colin and Ryan, I've just recently joined a new company. And at this company, I'm gonna be responsible for the relationship with a very large customer, one that we've had for many years for this company. And as part of this, I'm trying to gauge accurately, what's the level of trust between our two companies? And I know it's gonna vary quite a bit by team and individual, but still at a rough high level, I'm still trying to get a gauge for the level of trust. Do you have any tips and recommendations on how best to do that? So, interesting question, isn't it, actually, Ryan? That is a good one, yeah. We're going to talk specifically about measuring trust, but I will encourage our our listening audience to recognize that a lot of these principles will extend to measuring other specific things as well. I I like that Bob asked this a real specific question. That was great. But whether you want to measure trust from your customers or being cared for or any number of other things, I think that this can also be applied to some of those questions as well. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is it goes back to, and we did an episode, didn't we, on the five rules for creating behavioral experiments, Mm -hmm. thinking about this whole experimenting. So anyway, without further ado, let's dive into it because Ryan and I have had a chat and we think that there are four answers to this. Mm-hmm. How about that for value? We're giving out value today. We're not just coming up with one answer. When you asked one question, we gave you four answers. That is a yes. 400% return on investment as long as no <laughs> one checks my math. 
the first way of doing this, Bob, and this is really simple, but ironically, not many people do it, which is ask the customer. <laughs> yeah. Basically, ask them directly. All right. Here, I think there's a couple of important points, which is I have to say a lot of a lot more organizations ask about things like trust. But to Ryan's point, you could actually, although we're talking here about trust, you could insert whatever emotion that you want. Not many organizations look at other emotions, which I think is wrong, that you should be looking at other emotions. So ask the customer directly, do you trust you know, our company? Now, ideally, that is not done by you or by anybody within the organization. So you can create some sort of independence or it's done through a survey. And the only other thing I would add uh, at this point is I think you need to ask it sort of strategically over a period of time, yes. but also tactically after interactions with a customer to be able to pick up parts of the journey where the trust scores may decline more than and different scenarios where the trust score may uh, increase or decline. Does that make sense? I think those are great bits of advice. Let me give you some some good news and then some bad news when it comes to, to measuring things. Yep. The good news is before I started working as a researcher, I was very intimidated by the idea of designing surveys or asking people questions. I thought that this is, this is something that required a bunch of specialized training. And after I started doing it, I realized it's much simpler than we think that it is. I don't know if you went through a similar kind of process, Colin, as you started doing research in the in the real world where it's not as intimidating as you as you think it is before you try doing it. So that's the good news. There are definitely things that can go wrong. There's some learning to be had. There are better ways of doing it than others. It's not as difficult as sometimes we built it up to be in our mind. So I would encourage people to just start doing it and learn from what, what you're doing if you're, you're new to it. That's the good news. The harder part, I don't even call it bad news. The, the harder part is knowing what to do with this data. So one big mistake people make when they ask directly is they think that the number itself is somehow meaningful, and it almost always is not. So if we ask people, how much do you trust us on a seven-point scale, and we get the number back five and a half, that number by itself is almost entirely meaningless. Like, what does a five and a half mean on a scale from one to seven when we're measuring trust? Where it becomes meaningful and useful is in the context that Colin just said, if we can track it over time, right? If we see if as we're doing different things, does it go up or does it go down? If we can compare it across different points in the, in the customer journey, if we can compare it across different customer segments, if we can compare it with different parts of the organization. So it's in the comparison that these direct measures are usually most useful and not necessarily as raw data itself. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And the other thing I would throw in here is, and again, I'm surprised that a number of organizations don't do this, is asking the question about your competitors. Yeah, that's great. Not just do you trust us, but do you trust ABC? Do you trust DEF companies, et cetera, et cetera? That comparison data is, is interesting to look at. Absolutely. Now we're comparing across companies. If we can compare across companies now, again, over time, it's in the comparison. And so we're now adding a completely new dimension on which to make comparisons, which is terribly useful.
The second area, Bob, is what we would call indirect questions, okay? And I think this sort of is worthy of a bit more explanation. The interesting bit, again, is we're dealing here, again, always with perception. So it's the customer's perception of of all of these things. So, for instance, one of the things that I always say to our clients is, look, they say, well, how do you evoke trust? And I say, well, simply, you know, do you phone back customers when you say you're going to do? And this is where perception comes in. What is their perception of the delivery time? Do they perceive that you do things on time, deliver things on time? And the important aspect there is, Two things. So you've got trust here is, and if you could see me, I'm pointing and waving up and up in the air. For the sake of people trusting you as, a, as an expert, <laughs> Colin, it's probably best that they can't see you gesticulating wildly alone in your room. Yeah, you, you, you should see the clothes I'm wearing, mate. Yeah. That wouldn't evoke trust either. <laughs> I forgot. Now, you see, there's an interesting point, actually. You've raised a really interesting point, and you didn't even know it, mate. Oh, purely by accident. No, I, I did not intend that at all. But... Do you remember the the white coat experiment? Yeah, the the Milgram experiment, yep. The Milgram experiment where they found that one of the things was, I am sitting here in a a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, but if I was had a suit and tie on and I had a white coat on and I had a badge on that had my, you know, seniority in the organisation, there would be more trust of what I'm saying or what I'm doing. You get the idea. So I guess it's all of those little things, again, that can vary how customers' perception. But let me get back to the point I was making, because, again, I think it's an important point. Many organizations say to me, well, our customers must trust us because look at this internal data. It shows that we deliver things on time. 96% of our deliveries are delivered on time. Okay, But the issue is, is, the customers think that they are. <laughs> and that's the important data. So both things are important, whether they, what the actual delivery is, which can, you can improve from in your internal stats, but also key, what's the customer's perception of things. And again, the point I'm trying to get to is you've got trust. Well, what makes up trust? What are the actions that make up trust? Doing things that you say that you will being reliable, all those things make up that overall feeling of, do I trust this person and organization? And again, they can also be separate things, just even in saying that. They may trust the organization. They may not trust the individual. Let's talk then about how we can measure those things indirectly, right? So you can ask people, how much do you trust us? And then there's a whole series of projective techniques that you can use. People may have reasons for not wanting to just come out and say they don't trust you, even in a survey, even indirectly, or even if you're not like kind of directly confronted with the people. And so there are ways of, of asking them to the side, just a little bit indirectly, where you might get a more honest opinion. And so you can do things like, and Colin, I know you've used projective techniques in some of your your research, but you can do things like imagine that our company and our three largest competitors were people. Which of them would you be most likely to loan $5 to? Or who, who would you call if you needed someone to come and pick you up during an emergency? These are indirect questions now that are a little bit silly, but are going to give people permission to give a more maybe honest answer, right? Where they, it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm rating you as low in trust. 
I'm just now playing kind of a fun imaginary game. Yeah. One of the ways we use it is um, we buy a load of magazines from mm-hmm. yep. different sources and we basically give them to customers and we then say to them, pick out an image that either portrays how you feel about this organization or whatever the question is that we're trying to get to. And it is really fascinating, the images that people pull out. And when you start asking them, why did you choose that image? The insights you get are really incredible. And you'd never get to them if you just ask them standard questions. You really get some deep insights on them. It seems silly, right? You're, you're asking people to clip pictures out of a magazine and create a collage about a, a brand. That seems silly. It is actually a, a very well-worn, well-respected technique in certain types of research because it, it, it gets people out of their own heads to a certain extent and allows them to speak more freely. Colin's point earlier about what people are wearing and how it influences. You can ask people after an engagement with, for instance, a phone representative, why don't you describe what that person looks like to me? And now you're getting them to, to write a little essay about what this person looks like. And you might find differences in how they imagine that person is dressed based on the level of trust that they have in your company. So if if they perceive a high level of trust, they might assume that this phone center representative is dressed very formally and, and in a very business-like attire. Whereas if people were, were to ask to describe what Colin sounds like, he's in shorts and, and flip-flops, clearly, and there's no reason we should <laughs> trust anything that he's saying. So that, those would be indirect ways of asking. Yes, absolutely. And some of the other ways that you can do when you get into sort of measures is, in fact, it was like, I'm here in Florida, and we've got a garden service that does the irrigation. And I've had to phone and chase them, Mm. what feels like 72 times to get a quote out of them for some work that we need to be done. Do I trust the fact that they're going to deal with me particularly promptly and blah, blah, blah. Nah. Now, what's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is you can measure the amount of calls that come into the organization, and then you can start to categorize them. Because let's be clear, I wouldn't be phoning them up if all the information was given to me on time. And therefore, you can start to measure those internal things as well. Perfect. Here is Anna talking on the show. Hi, Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. Number three, behavioral measures. Do you want to talk to this one, Ron? Sure. Colin mentioned some of the internal metrics that you can use for as indirect measurements. You can also look at what your customer is doing. So this data can take all kinds of forms. It can be purchase level data, for example. So if you're noticing a large number of defections or customers are leaving you, that's not enough to draw a conclusion that it's trust specifically, but it's clear that there's a problem 
And trust very well might be one of the causes of that, right? And so you can combine all these different data sources and look at what your customers are actually doing, how they're behaving. Another source of behavioral data is the reviews that they're writing. So look at at what people are saying about you in your review channels, in social media. Are they mentioning issues around trust and how much they trust your brand or how how little they trust your brand? That's another behavioral measure. You can also get specific in terms of like interpersonal interactions if you have this kind of data. So can you observe the way your customers interact with your employees? Do they seem hesitant? Do they have closed off body language? Do they have their arms crossed a lot? Are they not wanting to make eye contact? Do they have, you know, if you can videotape it, can you slow it down and look even for like micro expressions where where people might very rapidly have look distrustful in some way, look skeptical, look fearful, even if they cover it up very quickly as you look at their their faces very closely. So people might be giving you access to data already on trust that you're just not looking at. I always like to take it back to some of the things that I do. One of the things that I do with suppliers, with people that do stuff around the house or whatever it may be, is... How many times do they check on you? So I find myself, when somebody is new, checking on them. Are they doing things right? Are they doing things as I want them to oh, be that's done? That's a great example. Yeah. yeah. Why am I doing that? Well, the honest answer is because I don't trust them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I also know, the more I know somebody and trust what they do, I leave them to get on with things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, if I think about, we've recently had some mulch laid around the around the house here in uh, Florida, Sarasota. The guy that does all this gardening work for us, which is different to the irrigation guy, I hasten to add, but I'm probably going into too much detail now. Long and short of it was he ended up delivering all this mulch. He hadn't even quoted us for what it would cost, okay? But I wasn't worried because we'd been with him for 10 years and I knew that he wouldn't screw me, basically. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, the point I'm making is, again, it's one of those behavioral type measures. And people do things automatically. And that trust builds up over over a period of time. I think those are great examples. We've also had contractors who've, who've done work for us multiple times. And it would be very obvious to someone observing me in the presence of that contractor when they're describing what they're doing or when they're coming and going from the house to, to do things how comfortable I was with that person. Because we've had contractors that we we trust very much and love the work that they do and, and trust that they're, they're doing a great job and um, charging a fair price. And then other contractors that have made me very nervous that I yeah. don't trust what they're doing. And I'm not that great at poker. It would be very easy for someone observing me to tell my level of trust just by looking. I can imagine, mate. That would be fun. In fact, next time that happens, could you invite me around? So that you can play poker with me and steal all my yeah. money? No, no, uh, no I'd just like to video your nervousness as you wander around the house <laughs> with these people. What are you doing to my roof? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, the other thing is they probably don't realize that you're um, an expert in woodwork and that type of thing. So, And that's another interesting point, actually, isn't it? Because that trust gets built up, doesn't it, by people making an assumption that maybe you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to woodwork or whatever, but, and then telling you something that is wrong because, or not necessarily wrong or even exaggerating it without realizing your 
area of expertise, basically. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to derail this too much, but I did have an experience when I was in college where I know next to nothing about cars. I mean, I really know hardly anything. And so I took my car in to get repaired and, and these uh, mechanics were trying to, to sell me on some additional services that, oh, you need, you know, you need to get this other part overhauled as well. And it was very expensive. It made me very uncomfortable. And the way he described it to me, um, he was like, yeah, yeah, this thing happened. And, and there was, you know, we were pulling massive mega electron volts out of that. Now, I don't know anything about cars, but I was a physics major. And so I knew that when he was saying mega electron volts, he could have just said volts. Those are equivalent measures. He was intentionally making it sound more complicated, knowing that I was not an expert in that area. Yeah. And that made me distrust him immediately. Like, yes. Because he stumbled into an adjacent area where I did understand what was going on. Yes. And I think that's what, you, what you're talking about. You were sending all kinds of signals to your customers intentionally or not about how much they should trust you. You send the wrong signals and you're just going to completely blow it. Yes. And what we know is that through all of these, because you, you mentioned micro expressions, what we know is that human beings communicate a lot, 70%, something like that, through their body language. And therefore, we are picking up all of these little signals all the time. So the issue is codifying it effectively. So what are those and, signals? And looking for it, right? But yes. Those contractors interacting with me probably were deliberately not trying to figure out how much I trusted them because they just didn't care, right? They were, they were there to do their job and whatever else. So yeah, a lot of us, it's very naturally that we, we are not seeking out that kind of data. So the last one, Bob, is creating an experiment. And I think in Bob's pickle to us, this is one of the areas that made me think, yeah, that would be interesting for the audience. Because the first thing, Ryan, we would do, wouldn't be, is that we would start to create some type of workshop where we could build some form of trust game. You shared with me a great insight on a YouTube video, which we'll include in the show notes that's well worthy of a, of a look. Do you want to explain that one? Sure. Yeah. So as Colin mentioned, these get kind of progressively more complex as ways of measuring. The easiest is just to ask people some kind of survey. And then kind of the most complex would be to set up a, a, some kind of experiment or behavioral experiment to do it. It still might be worth it, right? These provide us with different types of data. Before we get into to Bob's specific scenario, the idea that you can measure trust using experiments is an idea that goes back decades at this point. Economists, behavioral economists have been doing this for a long time. There's a whole classification of trust experiments or trust games that have been designed and run over and over and over again. The classic version of it that is done, the classic trust game, is one where you get two players. You give player A some amount of money, let's say $20, and the rules of the game are Player A can give as much of that money as he or she wants to to player B. That money is then tripled. And then player B can decide how much of that money to give back to player A. So player A is in a position of just trusting player B. They could give all $20 to player B. Player B could then just walk away with $60. And that's it. And there's nothing player A could do about it. So this is a, a trust game. How much do I trust this other person to reciprocate? They experiment around this in all kinds of different ways. You know, same gender, different gender. Do you know the person? Do you not know the person? Is it going to be like multiple rounds of games? So there's lots of different ways that they play around with this basic setting. The video clip that I shared with Colin, the BBC 
took one version of this this trust game. It's known as the the Prisoner's Dilemma. They turned it into a game show, as I'm pretty sure the BBC does with literally everything. <laughs> everything in, in England is a game show, but it's it's called Golden Balls, which is an unfortunate name, but that's what they called it. And so you see these two people playing this trust game about like, can I can I trust you or not? And yeah. the specific clip was uh, just brilliant. It was really. The players involved were very, very funny and very smart. And so it was, it's a great clip. That gives you some idea. And a really good clip to have a look at. And I say we'll put it in the, in the show notes. The issue is you're trying to create an experiment to actually see what people are doing. Yes. The challenge is that you don't want to be turning around to the customer and going, could you attend this session with us? Yes. So we can see how much you trust us. That yes. would be really, really good. Because we want to put you through this game and that will tell us the levels of trust that you have with us. Or could you give us $10 and then we may or may not give some of it back to you. We'll just have to see. I introduced the idea of these trust games not because they'd be directly applicable to Bob. I don't think they are. Sure. But because it could be a jumping off point. The idea, the question that Bob is asking is, can you measure trust in, in experiments? And, and the answer to that is yes. Yes, you can. Yes. Now, you would need to customize these experiments. And that's where we're, we're going to kind of slow down because we don't know enough about Bob's specific business to give a lot of real specific suggestions around that. My general recommendations to Bob would be to look for those points in the customer journey where trust is key. And then zero in specifically around those and say, are there things that we can measure here that would be indicative of trust? And again, it could be specific, it could be around asking them direct questions at that point in the customer journey. And then now can we experiment around that? So are there things that we can do that would lead to greater or lesser indications of trust, whether it's direct or indirect or behavioral, some kind of behavioral measure? Is there some experiment that we can try at that point in the journey to see if we can change how much people trust us? Yeah, and I think the key there, again, is which area effectively goes back to what we always talk about, which is which area drives most value? It's which part of the journey is it critical or what scenario is it critical? As you were talking, Ryan, I was thinking about one of my old jobs back when I was uh, working in telecoms was running the high-level escalations. Trust at that point, when the whole of the network's down and you've got your whole of your retail environment down and you can't take any money and stuff like that is a bit of an issue, basically. Yes. And trust becomes an issue then, clearly. And therefore, what scenario, I guess, it's the important aspect, Bob, that you need to look at. We hope that's been of use, Bob. So just to recap, there are four things. Ask the question directly. Ask indirect questions. So these are sort of subsets of trust. So think about what makes up trust and how you can measure those. Look at some of those behavioral measures that the customer may be showing you without them realizing. And finally, you can set up an experiment. And again, we did a podcast on that not so long ago on the five rules of creating behavioral experiments. We hope that's been of use. If you've got a pickle, please just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle, beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle, and do what Bob's done. Press the red button, 
tell us what your pickle is and hopefully we'll get you uh, appearing on the show and answer your pickle so thanks very much and we look forward to talking to you next week cheers this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows access free tools and resources and subscribe won't you that way you'll never miss a show that's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.